You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? I'm a long sample. Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, there's Jesus freaking. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 net scouts. <laughs> Start to see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Film and Loathing Podcast for Sunday, February 10th, 2019. This is episode number 17, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. Coming up today, we've got a review, couple reviews for you. We've got one of the new Netflix film, Velvet Buzzsaw, as well as Nicholas Winding Refn's The Neon Demon. And we'll probably get into some other things that we watched, and then whatever the hell comes up along the way. But before we do that, how you guys doing this week? Not bad, not bad. How are you doing, Jacob? Well, I've been really fucking sick this week. It has been awful. Wait, like sick or like sick? Like sick. Like, like I came down with it Tuesday, and today is like the first day that I actually have any energy that like my body just doesn't kill. I'm not exhausted. Perfect movie watching feeling right there. Yeah, I've watched a lot of movies this week. Any fever dreams? Oh, yeah. I've had some really trippy dreams this week. A lot of them involving being in college, actually, which is weird. <laughs> Give us the deets. I wish I had known this. I would have suggested the Neon Demon earlier. You could have watched this on, like, Thursday. Yeah. No, I've had, like, really weird dreams where I, like, um, you know, like, there'll be, like, a presentation and then, like, in my dream, I've been like, oh, I've had all semester to do this. Like, why? how did I forget about it? And then, like, wake up and be like, oh, phew, that was just a dream. But then, like, fall back asleep and pick right where I left off. Oh. So then, like, in the dream, I'm kind of like, oh, fuck, I wanted to avoid this. But then, like, I'm still <laughs> in that weird dream state where I kind of go through with it. Mm-hmm. Been there. Yeah. It's, you it's never seem to pick up the good dreams either. Like you and you like when you're having a good dream and you fall asleep and then you wake up and you're like shit and you try to go back to sleep and you successfully do but you never pick up right where you left off on the good dream. It always seems to happen with the bad ones. It's true. I had like a weird dream last night where um, I was like living in the dorms and like I hadn't seen like any of my best friends in like weeks and I was like really depressed about it and then like I finally saw them at the end of the dream and – they were all like, oh, hey, man, good to see you. But we can't stick around. we got to leave. And they were all just doing their own <laughs> things and not including me in anything. And it was really upsetting. And then I woke up and was like, what the fuck is with all these college dreams? Like, I don't understand. You missed That's the good old sad. days. I know. I'm, I'm just stuck in the past, man. <laughs> That's sad as shit, man. What's, what's your, what's your brain trying ever. to tell you? I don't know. Maybe it's telling me I need to connect to these guys or something. Yeah, well, any of Jake's friends listening, hit him up, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's not like I can really do much since I'm out here in Colorado, not in Maine. Just uh, attach like a um, one of those GoPro cameras to your forehead and wear a helmet, and then so your friends can live your day with you. Yeah, I guess that's I could do that. Yeah, but that yeah. would require his friends having literally nothing to do but watch his live stream of what he's doing. I yeah. mean, and honestly, that... I hope their lives aren't haven't come to that where they're <laughs> watching my Instagram live videos. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, my I don't really do much at my job, Jake, so I'll watch your Instagram live videos. Thanks, man. I'll live your life with you. No, it got me thinking, though, like this week while I've been sick, because I think typically when I'm sick, like I like to watch just a lot of like cartoons, like, just like Disney movies. So it's got me wondering, like, when, when you guys are hella sick, what do you watch? It's the same stuff I would watch normally. Seriously? Like, really? Yeah. Do you watch, like, you just pop on new movies and just go for it? Uh, it depends, like, how sick are we? T- it depends what kind of sickness, I guess. Okay, so I'll give you, like, what, what I was feeling, and I'll let you decide. So just, like, chills, like, you just can't get comfortable because your body hurts, like, you're kind of tired, but you're too uncomfortable to really nap. Like the achy body feeling? Yeah, just incredibly achy. Not really nauseous, but like you're just not hungry at all. Um, congested. You just feel like shit. Like you don't want to move. Yeah, uh, I mean, so at the at the those types of sicknesses usually last like three to four days for me. So day one and two, I would probably watch something where I don't really care if I fall asleep during it. So either I've seen it before. Or I'm somewhat interested in it, but I don't care if I miss it. So this like, where you're going, this where you're going Schindler's List. Velvet Buzzsaw would have been a perfect <laughs> movie for those first two days. And then yeah. day three and four, I'll watch whatever. Because you're feeling up by then? Oh, it's like I'm tired of watching things that kind of suck, so. Oh, yeah. When I get sick like that, it's always I always stick with old reliables. Like, movies I watched as a kid that I, like, loved. Uh, like, Forrest Gump or Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, Harry I Potter. Watch any of those. That type of stuff. I could have gone for Harry... Mm, maybe Harry Potter. Around, like, Wednesday, Thursday, I probably could have gone Harry Potter. Like, I probably would have been fucking Love in the Chamber of Secrets or something. <laughs> yeah. Just randomly, or just, like, the Goblet of Fire, but all about it. Well, it yeah, I was, like... I was fighting off the NyQuil dreams, and I watched The Kindergarten Teacher, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the... That would actually put have a nice one to put on, because I probably would have actually fallen asleep and gotten some rest. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, but no, I'm glad I'm feeling better today, so... I think... The first time I watched uh, Antichrist, I was really sick. The Lars von Trier movie. Yeah, that seems like a good fever dream one. No, I'm <laughs> sorry, man. I couldn't watch any of Lars von Trier's movies while I'm sick. It's weird. I'd sit there yeah, and watch it. Like, I feel like even if I was sick, like, like so ungodly sick, just watching Lars von Trier, I'd be like, shit, man. I'm like, I okay. <laughs> No. Yeah, I feel like I would have added days to my sickness. Yeah. Days and Confused is always a good one. Yeah, that one would have been a bad one to go for. Nothing too, nothing too uh, 
kind of depressing, but nothing too super happy either. Just kind of like down the middle. I like action movies a lot when I'm sick. Yeah, yeah. When we get into what we watch, you'll we'll, you'll find out what I, what I actually dipped into. <laughs> oh man! Couple of good rewatches. Couple of things I've watched for the first time. So it was pretty good. It was a good balance. Um, now, do you guys care which one we start off with first? Velvet Buzzsaw or the Neon Demon? Let's just get Velvet Buzzsaw out of the way. Let's get both of them out of the way. Cool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, <laughs> shit. Some hostility. Yeah, they're both garbage. Ooh, okay. this. I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> this ought to be good. Uh, before we get started, any housekeeping stuff, Zach? No idea. Uh, I, w- <laughs> I think we should explain the pairing a little bit. So, okay. Do you want to go for that one? Yeah, so we. Velvet Buzzsaw is currently streaming on Netflix. Uh, Written and directed by Dan Gilroy and starring Jake Gyllenhaal. It is a critique of the contemporary art world in Los Angeles. And so, as you're about to find... Is it Miami? Yeah. I think it's Miami. Well, well, one of the art shows takes place in Miami. But I don't know if it's all set in Miami. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, As we found earlier in the week, we were talking amongst our group chat. And... None of us really liked this movie, and we can get into why. Um, and basically, we made the decision that, you know, we don't want to talk solely about a movie that we hate, so we paired it with... Although Nicholas Chris is going to talk about two movies that he hates. <laughs> <laughs> so we paired it with Nicholas Pointing Refn's, uh 2016 film, The Neon Demon, which has been categorized as a satire of the fashion industry. So they kind of pair well together. And so, and then I I am a big fan of the movie, as you're about to find out, and just figured we would counteract the negative review with a positive review, at least from someone. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, should we get into it? Anything else you guys want to... Any uh, icebreaker stuff you need to mention? Nope. Okay. So, uh, let's see. So, Velvet Buzzsaw was written and directed by Dan Gilroy. It's the guy that did uh, The Nightcrawler, for anyone out there that's seen that one. And it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, um, Zowie Ashton, Tony Collette, Natalia Dyer, David Diggs, John Malkovich. And the plot synopsis is, after a series of paintings by an unknown artist are discovered, a supernatural force enacts revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of art. So, take it away, guys. What did you think of Velvet Buzzsaw? Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I will say that there were probably four times during this movie where I fell asleep for about five minutes. And... Usually, when that happens, I will rewatch most of the movie until I feel that I've gotten the whole thing. I did not care to do that for this one because I could not stand it. Yeah. I hated this movie with every ounce of me. And it's two hours. I missed, I would say, 30 minutes of the movie. And even then, I still felt it dragged on forever. 
It's a very long hour and 52 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I... It's so disappointing, because the premise is incredibly interesting. You have Dan Gilroy, who has proved that he can handle tension and suspense very well. I love Nightcrawler. You have Jake Gyllenhaal on board, who I also love. And you produce this. Like, I don't... <laughs> I truly do not understand what went wrong. Yeah, it's a incredibly underwhelming. Yeah, I'd say underwhelming is a pretty good word for it. Um, I'm not. Is it trying? Is it trying to be a horror film? It's it's Kinda. a horror comedy. A horror, okay. Which I am also not really a fan of, but I think this is atrocious on both accounts. Describe yeah. what horror comedy means, because I'm not 100 percent sure. Shaun of the Dead is a good one. I would say oh, yeah, this com- wasn't even fucking close to Shaun of the Dead. If you want to go back a little further, you could look at uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or The Invisible Man or some- something like that, but that is like horror comedy. Now, okay. It, okay, is it a film that has both horror and comedy or a movie that finds comedy out of its horror? It's a movie that features both horror and comedy. Okay. Um... Well, I don't think it necessarily hand- did either one really well. I did. There were a couple moments I kind of chuckled, like. <laughs> I think um, if I think if you have to, like, gun to my head, I had to to say, like, which aspect of it succeeded. I would say the comedy because the horror in this is absolutely awful. Yeah, I think the only really funny moment that I laughed at was when. Um, the guy walks into John Malkovich's studio and there's the pile of trash and he's like, oh my god, I love it. And John Malkovich is like, that's not art. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like, I thought that part was pretty funny, but like, I guess anyways, like, but there's, like, there's a few like one-liners, like a few quips from either Hall or Malkovich that are funny. But like, in terms of like jokes, they don't land. Yeah, I definitely think the movie had some... Okay, first of all, I, I finished my thought. Like, I don't think any of the horror really worked at all it seemed really random um in terms of like who was being targeted when like did you feel that way i guess Uh, i feel like i feel like typically like in a horror film they're like a character will do a defining thing and then they'll be targeted to be killed but i felt this was really random like you would just get a scene where that character just happened to be alone and then all of a sudden the things start happening to them. But it didn't seem like there was any real rhyme or reason why it happened to who, when it did. I mean, it kind of seemed like in the beginning they specify like how everybody's profiting from it and they all kind of just did it in one foul swoop because that was like the whole premise of it was that these guys made money off of this guy's art so they were going to die. And then... um, He sold his art even though he explicitly stated that it should all be destroyed. Which like, if you feel that way, why didn't you destroy it? It makes like it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the guy was trying to. He was he was burning it, but I don't know how that guy died. Like, did he sell the guy's art? It's like that's very unclear. It's similar to like what we talked about last week with Suspiria, where like all horror movies are gonna have these sort of holes that you can poke at. But if the craft is working for you, then they're easy to overlook. But in an instance like this. Where it's not working at all, it's I could literally just sit down and watch a scene, and I could think of a hundred things that I hated about it, but just because the other aspects of it are not working for me. Mm-hmm. Like David Diggs, I think 
he I didn't know he was in this, and he's fantastic in blind spotting, but he's absolutely atrocious in this movie. You thought he was that yeah, bad? He was like I the thought one, he was awful. I, he was the one part of the whole movie where I was just like, like his character was in it for like what five minutes total, so it didn't really leave much room for me to get an impression of him. Like I thought he was just like, oh, he's just some guy who's in this movie. He didn't do a bad or good performance. I don't think yeah, there wasn't room to be exceptional. Good performance. No. I also, nope. kinda, I also kind of felt too that like Dan Gilroy was a little bit out of his element trying to like make this like um, critique of like the art culture, like in like that type of art. Cause like I felt like a lot of the dialogue that was like spoken, like it just seems like really cliche, stereotypical, like snuffy things that a person would say, but like a lot of it didn't really land or really make any sense to me. Like there were a lot of scene, like a lot of moments in the film where I really wasn't understanding what they were saying. And I partly feel because Dan Gilroy doesn't even understand what he's trying to say. He just knows that something needs to sound pretentious because that's the art community. And it kind and it sounds that way, but I don't think what they're saying actually makes any sense. I, I remember feeling that like a lot of the critiques that were being made, I remember I can't think of anything specific because nothing about this movie has stuck with me. But like I just remember feeling like, okay, well that same critique could be said about the film industry and you're clearly profiting from that, so why are you poking fun at it? Mm-hmm. Um I also thought this it definitely I think it definitely had some pacing issues too. Um there, there, there comes a point when all of a sudden Jake Gyllenhaal is like, oh my god, all these things are wrong, and this is why, this is how it's connected to. And then you get like the last 20 minutes where things kind of spiral out, but then the first hour 20 is spent kind of, I don't know, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, and uh, what I don't understand is, like, Jake Gyllenhaal, and okay, this is spoiler territory, or is this okay to talk spoilers? Go ahead. Who cares? All right. Since um, Jake Gyllenhaal died because he supposedly profited off of it, but how did he profit off it? Uh, well, wasn't he just like working with the arts to like push the work? No, like he, he was working w- with the museums to push the work. He was going to write a book about it, but he never ended up writing the book. He wrote a pamphlet for it, but he didn't profit off of it. He just wrote a pamphlet for the right to write the book. Hmm. Yes, yeah, good point. But then point. he never ended up writing the book. Yeah, for some reason I had it. I thought that he was just like he was just using his critique to like just push the art, like to like, um, basically to like uh, uh, uptalk it so that people will buy it. But none of that was for his own advancement. He was just well, writing a critique to write a critique. Well, I think he was prof profiting off it as in like, you know, if it sold for a lot of money, he of course would get a cut, I'm sure. So I don't know. It seems really it's definitely not as clear as some of the other people involved. Yeah. I guess. How familiar are you guys with General Hospital? Not like at all. The TV show? Yes. No, just hospitals all. in general. I don't know. Uh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, wait, is that the one with George Clooney? I think so. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it at all. No, he was in ER. Uh, Denzel Washington was in a doctor show. Was he? 
Yeah, it's not was. important. The point I'm trying to make <laughs> is, is that that is what I guess soap operas in general. I'll blanket it out that way. That's what this movie looks and feels like. Like it's it looks hideous. It's so just glossy and fake looking, and it like it looks like they had a very big post production budget. And they had like three million dollars left, so they're like, well, "What are we gonna do?" And it's like those movies where they're like, it's like a, like a spy movie or something where they're just like, enhance, and then it's like, everything just kind of gets like bigger and better, and you can see everything clearly. Like that, it seems like Dan Gilroy sat in the editing room and he was like, "Okay," and he just said enhance like thirty times, and what you get is this glossy, fake-looking mess that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that really sticks out to me is like towards the end, where like all the paint starts like coming from the walls and like surrounding that girl. I yeah. like that idea. I like that final image, but like just this this whole movie looks gross, and like the all the... the lines are so over delivered by everyone involved. Yeah, like That's... like you would in a soap opera, and it's like I just I don't understand. I feel like some executive at Netflix should have seen this and been like, no, this is going to sit on the shelf forever. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how it got greenlit. I mean, I mean, it must have just been one of those things where Netflix was like, uh, we'll take a shot. Well, what? Like, who knows? I mean, how much? So, what's the what was the budget for this movie? Too much, probably. They they were probably just like, ah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Why not? So That's they decided based, to put it out there. Well, it's like one of those things where it's like it doesn't even matter if it's like does well or not because I think they just get money off of it based off clicks, essentially. So if like <clears throat> if you just market it as like the guy that wrote Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal and all these other actors, people are just bound to just click on it and watch it. The budget was twenty one million dollars, by the way, which really doesn't seem that much. It's pretty low budget. Mm. For Netflix, that's all. They're shelling out some money. That was a piece <laughs> of dog shit compared to their lower budget movies. I don't think I've seen. Um... Consider that Nightcrawler was made for half of that and looks ten times better. And is a ten times better film. Yeah, it's just really upsetting to just see all these like great actors in this that can easily hold their weight. Like, like we, but Tony Collette is weak. Like I forgot Jake, she was even in like this. Jake Gyllenhaal. Like he's not, he's not bad, but like he's kind of annoying. Like I really don't like when like characters try to portray gay characters because it just it's so over the top and just so fake feeling. And that is exactly what I got from Jake Gyllenhaal in certain scenes where, like, his mannerisms and, like, the way he delivers certain lines. Well, I feel... It's, like, eye-rolling. I feel he would have acted that way regardless of his sexual orientation. I feel like that was his character. Maybe, but I think just the fact that, like, they'd make him gay, just, like, it just, like, accentuates that. Make him gay, but then let's set up this whole drama about how he's gonna sleep with a woman and... Like, that's, like, that's what I don't understand is that this movie has a very interesting premise at its center, but then bogs you down with all of this melodramatic crap that's not interesting. Yeah, like, I really don't care about, like, the struggles of Jake Gyllenhaal's sex life. Like, or, like, well, I, don't, I don't remember what 
the late the like the main woman character that's not Renee Russo but like her assistant like uh-huh. be- immediately below her was it like I, Josephine or whatever her name is yeah, yeah I don't I don't care about her like professional like relationships and how that drama <laughs> overarches like the get to the paintings and get to the killings like that is that's where you're going to be the strongest in this movie Plus yeah the- and then like Okay, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Just that one, the one Josephine's little, like, mechanic there at the at their shop. He, I, I think I heard him say, like, four different times that, yeah, I'm not just a mechanic. I also do art. Yeah, no, I paint, <laughs> that too. Guy. Yeah, and then his whole purpose for the movie was to just die, which I was fine with. I'm fine with people whose purpose is to die. But... There was no purpose for him being there in the beginning. Like, he didn't even contribute anything in the beginning. He was just a body who eventually died. Yeah, I think what's also like, so like upsetting is that none of the killing scenes are even that... They're not even that interesting. No. And they're they're over, like, just as soon as they begin. Like, there's no suspense or tension brought out with any of them. I'm not gonna lie, though. At that last death... I was sitting there just like, all right, where's it going to come from? Rene Russo's? Yeah. I was curious about where it was going to come from because that was the oh, one. I remember what happens. Um, she has that velvet buzzsaw tattoo on her back. She get, oh, takes, yes. all, yeah, takes all the art out of her building. And then, like, I'm, I'm, I forgot that she had that tattoo. And then at the end, I was just like, Oh shit! That's where it's gonna come from. But then that was that was the peak of the whole movie for me. Unless I missed something in the twenty minutes that I was sleeping for this, like Velvet Buzzsaw is a really cool name, but like its origins in the movie are really <laughs> shit. It's so yeah. it's so lame. Like, it's like, it's I don't that, understand how that, that band or something it was like that. The, a band that she was in when she was younger, and yeah. I don't understand the relevance to that band to the rest of the story at all other than they came up with this these really these two words that sound cool next to each other like well what is what does that mean oh yeah well, it was this band she had i'm Felt pretty sure buzzsaw should have been the name of the artist that they paintings they found i'm pretty Maybe. sure that like velvet buzzsaw was her band but like their whole and i could be wrong about this their whole premise was like to critique everything and to basically say fuck the man which in a weird way, was what he was trying to do here with this movie. So maybe that's how it relates. I don't know. I think you're, yeah, you're grasping at straws here. I know. Like, you kind of have like, to. I'm, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. It's literally just like one little thing of dialogue and it's never touched on again. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and say that this film has some amazing final credits. Yeah, the final but, credits is cool. <laughs> John Malkovich. John Malkovich on the beach, yeah. like oh, okay. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, that was great. What was the point in him being there? I don't know. Why was John Malkovich a part of this whole scenario? He didn't even die. Like he literally served no purpose. Maybe it's just for those credits. Like I'm fine with that. Those credits <laughs> are great. Maybe they just, like, randomly found him one day out on the beach doing that, and they were filming it, and they were like, okay, I want to work this into the movie. John Malkovich, will you be in it for a little bit so we can get to this credit sequence? This John Malkovich just wandered onto set one day, and he just started, and he just started acting. Yeah. (laughs) 
I do like the the possessed paintings or whatever. Oh, they look kind of cool. Like, I don't know. There are uh, lots of movies that critique art, and I don't really know a lot about art, so like it's hard for me to connect with them. But like something like the square does it pretty well, or like they have like like literally that exhibit that's just the big box, right? And it's like the sphere, you mean? Okay, the sphere. Yeah. It's like, well, this is kind of dumb. You know, I don't understand the appeal of that. Like, this guy's paintings that they find, like, I thought they actually looked pretty cool. And then the yeah. guy sells them on the street for $5 at the end. Don't yeah, die. so, like, so like, if you Google Velvet Buzzsaw, there's a bunch of th- videos where it's, like, the, uh, Velvet Buzzsaw ending explained. What exactly is there to explain? I don't, it seems I don't know. Pretty, it seems pretty straightforward. I'm going to have to check these videos out just to see what they're getting at here. If there's something that's even, like, that makes you think for even one second, there's about 30 videos that are, like, ending explained. Yeah, there's nothing to explain at the end of this movie. Maybe they're explaining why that two hours was worth my time. That's the only ending explain, ending explanation that I'm interested in. You should have just done Cold Pursuit. Well, I, well, it wasn't near me. I unfortunately, otherwise, I would have. When you but said that, I immediately thought, like, oh, shit, they're pulling this from theaters. Like, they're not even going to show this movie because of Liam Neeson's comments. But, no, it's playing near me. Yeah. yeah. I thought they were going to pull it indefinitely. It's Yeah, it's at the theater down the street for me now. I guess it just took a couple days to get into theater, so. I, I'm going to go see it Tuesday, so we can do it next week. But yeah, I expect that to be way better than this. I'm I'm hoping so. It's just, yeah. I don't want to sit through another one of these. <laughs> this is actually like, the worst Netflix movie I've ever seen. It's pretty bad. It's just like I'd it's rather... so it's so over the top. It's so in your face about things, and I'm usually fine with that. But it, I feel like you can't be over the top and in your face. And then at the end, I'm still sort of confused with what I'm supposed to take from it. Like, well, usually... I'm not that confused what I'm supposed to take from it. It's just that it's so bad, like, I don't even want to take anything from it. <sighs> Such squandered <laughs> potential. What would, yeah, you guys, what would you guys rather do than watch this movie again? Watch Bird Box. <laughs> you would rather watch Bird Box than this? I would rather watch... Black Mirror Bandersnatch twice. Yeah, but yeah, like, actually, not just yeah. The, not just the quick route. You gotta go through the. You gotta go through the long way every time. That's fine. Hmm. Yeah, at least that's got like different scenarios that I could play around with. Like, I wish this had different scenarios I could play around with. I think if this I one was, was interactive, if I had to choose what these paintings did to these people, that's ama- That would be amazing. I would give this movie a five. Yeah, that would be cool. Like that'd be a cool premise. I'd be behind that. Yeah, we're not getting into the interactive movie talk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wish there was any saving grace about this, but there just isn't. I'm like, watch it mean, just to in, see those final credits because they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, most people are pretty forgettable. Like. David Diggs, Tony Collette, pretty forgettable. Ray Russo, kind of sucks. Like, I don't I mean, I even remember what Tony Collette's role is. 
I think she's just another art curator that just she is was responsible the, for getting pieces into the museums to yeah, show. She, she was the girl who was supposed to get paintings in museums, but then started working for that um, benefactor guy. It's not like I really care that much. I was just no. saying. Oh, yeah, okay. Everybody's pretty weak. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I literally have nothing else to say. Now let's get into the Neon Demon, because I have a lot to say about that. Especially if Chris disagrees with me. Okay, uh, star ratings for Bu- Velvet Buzzsaw? I don't feel comfortable giving you a star rating since I was asleep for 20 minutes, but it wouldn't be higher than a 1. Okay, Chris? Yeah, I was going to give it a 1. Okay, I'm a little more generous than you guys. I'll give it a 2. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so then let's move on here to what we all want to talk about which is Nicholas Winenreffin's The Neon Demon, and it stars Elle Fanning, uh, Jenna Malone, uh, Bella Heathcote, Abby Lee, Keanu Reeves. And the plot synopsis is an aspiring model, Jessie, is new to Los Angeles. However, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. So what did you think of the Neon Demon? Chris? All right. Um, first off, I'm just going to say there were some really cool shots in this movie. Um, I thought it looked really good. Uh, beyond, look amazing. Beyond just the, the, the color. Kind of getting old for me. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't want to cut you off, Chris. Hmm. The one saving great, you said great shots, and it made me think. Um, Velvet Buzzsaw, there is some really cool aerial shots of Los Angeles that looks great in 4K. That's all, that's it. That's all I gotta say. Oh, shit. Forgot you got a 4K TV. I don't think this was available in 4K. Yeah, it's streamed in 4K. Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. It, said ultra, it said Ultra HD 4K, baby. I would check again. I wouldn't but, waste uh, the bandwidth on this piece of trash anyways. Other than, So those aerial yeah. shots, they looked really cool, really colorful. Other than that, it was gross. Chris, back to the Neon Demon. Um, so yeah, I thought it looked really cool. I thought the concept of the movie was really cool. Um, you say you're getting tired of these colors, but like, it's, it's literally called the Neon Demon. So I if know. It was, it, was, it was pretty drab looking. I would say that that's a pretty bad name for the movie. No, 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 I'm not saying it needed to be drab looking. I'm just saying, like, I, right now, where I'm at as far as what I want to see in a movie, I don't really want to see the bright, over, um, over-reactive colors. Like, when something's bad, I don't want to see red. Like, a hyper, over... Um, done red and then when something's sad i don't want to see an overdone blue or when something's gross i don't want to see an overdone green if you get what i'm saying like i'd say the same i'd say the same thing if i had a 32 inch insignia (laughs) no no even even if it it was uh even with my my even if i had a 4k tv i still wouldn't want to see that as yeah well that's hard to say if you don't have one fair fair enough seen it I will give you that. Um, still don't think I'd be interested, but that's because, you know, I know me, but whatever. Um, 
I thought it looked cool. I thought L Fanning was average. I thought um, average. I, I really didn't think that there was any performance in this movie that really stuck out to me. I would argue that that's by design. Yeah, no, and if that's by design, I mean that's by design, but it's not really going to keep me captured into the characters. I would also argue that that's by design. Okay, and if that's by design, then that's fine. But it's not going to. I like to be attracted to the characters. I definitely do not that's think you should like in. any of these characters. I'm not saying I have to like them. Uh, there was only one character I liked, and it was the actual good guy. Was it Keanu Reeves? No, he was a fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> the only character I like was her little boy toy there in the beginning, because he was an actual genuine dude. Um, Maybe. He I mean, still pursues a 16-year-old actively. Yeah, well, we don't know how old he is. Four, it's, isn't it range like four years? I mean... It doesn't matter. Like if that if that's your <laughs> argument. Like, that's no. Weird. All right. No. Fair enough. If your argument even... is it isn't legally raped, then that's kind of weird. But <laughs> I, I did. I didn't think of it that way. Um, my apologies. Um, <laughs> the copo is out to get you, man. <laughs> my girlfriend's twenty-two. Um, but anyways, yeah. Um, in ten years, maybe <laughs> she will be. In a couple of years. <laughs> Don't you dare get the okay. But get into the, get into the meat of it, Chris. What did you really think of it? I thought it was boring. <laughs> um, nothing really to keep me attention, keep my attention on the movie besides like the couple cool shots here and there. Um, so you're what you're saying is that a nice scene of necrophilia is not enough to keep you interested. <laughs> No, I'm not into necrophilia. Now that I came to the realization that she was 16 years old, it kind of ruins that a little bit more for me. So I think it just got bumped down a half star. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, I uh, wasn't a fan. Too weird for me. Zach? I don't know. Didn't really get me in, in, into the whole uh, fashion industry. Well, I think everything that Chris has said is wrong. Except for the positive things he said. Even I, even things that you said were there by design? You agree that I'm wrong on those? Yeah, I I don't have issue with them because I recognize they're by design. Okay. So, like, yeah, I do agree with you that a lot of the performances aren't great. And that a lot of the dialogue is very clunky. But where I think it's by design is that there are very... There are moments where it's referenced that nobody really cares what these people have to say. It's it's all about their looks. Mm-hmm. So like I think <clears throat> the bad the you know the the clunky performance and the dialogue is all just a reference to this point that what these people are saying it doesn't matter because we're really only interested in what they look like, or at least this world is only interested in what they look like. Yes, I do. I think every frame of this movie is gorgeous. And I'm not tired of the lighting setup, especially since that since Refn has sort of established that this is his style. Like, you know, Drive and Only God Forgives very much look like this. And the Reds in Valhalla Rising look like this. I just think it's very impressive what he can do with color since he can't see any. And Shit, really? 
Yeah, he's colorblind. Good for him. Not for being colorblind, but for being able to like keep up this work. He, like, he, know, he knows what he's doing. And I thought, you know, there's that scene where she's first being like photographed. And the guy says to take off her clothes. And you immediately get a very wrong feeling that you're supposed to get in the fear of a decent human being. And so I would imagine Chris didn't get it. I'm not a <laughs> shitty person. <laughs> I didn't realize it was messed up. <laughs> but then it turns into this very, like, then the gold paint comes out, which I think looks great, and it becomes this very, like, empowering thing that she's involved with. Where it's like, She's being she's being recognized, and she now. I also like that it's constantly referred to that she has she has it. Like we have no idea what it is, but she has it, and like what that does to everyone around her. So like you look at like the Jenna Malone character and the other two are, uh, model characters, and it's like this movie is very much about like vanity and jealousy, and what that drives you to do, as. It's clear by the ending. Mm-hmm. And just like... Like there's one point where they say like... If you're older than 21 in this world... You might as well just like be dead or whatever. And the guy's like... Oh, try 20. Yeah. And so it's just like... It's very... Because she's claiming to be 19. And so it's like this moment of... She has a very short window of fame to gain... And it's like she's taking full advantage of every second of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I think the opening shot of her laying on the couch like looks beautiful. Like I love the blue dress, like how it pops. Um, like I love sort of like the like the the off putting feeling that you get of the opening scene, kind of being like when you know it opens up and you think that her throat is slit and there's blood everywhere. And it's kind of like, oh, is this foreshadowing? Like, is this like later in the movie? And we're just getting a glimpse of like what's to come. Then you find out, no, this is actually just for a modeling shoot. Um, yeah, I think that looks really great. And then it does end up, it does end up foreshadowing some like what is to come later in the film, and getting at what sort of the movie is about. Um, I definitely agree with you, Zach. A lot of this stuff really pops and just looks beautiful. It's amazing. Like, there is some stuff, like some imagery that I guess I don't fully understand yet. This is this is the second time I've seen it. There's a lot of there's a lot of big cat imagery that like I'm not certain of. Like, so there's like the cougar in her room, and then when she's at the house that Jen Malone is house sitting for, there's also a lot of like big cats on the wall. Well, so, like, a leopard at one point. Well, so I was thinking of that too. I think there is a leopard, yeah. So I was thinking about that too, and I think that just has to do with like the predators, like they are they're predators, and so like that is sort of like what the modeling agency is. Like there are predators out to get you, and she and her herself is prey. That makes that makes sense. So oh, like, there's another I thing like, I wanted to ask too. So there's. That that scene where she's sitting in the hotel room and she listens to the other girl be assaulted. Yep. Like what? What did you guys think of that? Like, what do you what do you take from that? 
So I had thought that it was somebody raping that young girl. Yeah, I thought it was Keanu Reeves, or like yeah, some guy I, Keanu Reeves sent up there. I guess my question isn't like what act, what happens, but more like why is it there? To show that she's um, she can try and act all tough and big all she wants, but she's still this. She still just looks. She's but still helpless. What's even though I think it also I think it also could be. Because, like, right before that, you get this scene with that Keanu Reeves, like, putting the knife in her mouth. And so, like, you're not really sure if that's reality or not. So I think it's supposed to, like, start. It's a dream. Yeah, so I'm saying. So it's, like, I think it's supposed to just be part of this, like, from then on out, her life is, like, now this living nightmare. Where, like, she, she thinks she's in the driver's seat. She thinks she's in control. But really, it's not. Like, it starts to, that's things spiraling out of control now is that scene before or after like i guess there's a very definitive moment where she becomes a sort of like an icon almost is that before or after that i think it's after wait after. what do you mean she becomes an icon so like, there's like that scene in, the, in the, the restaurant and like at that point it's very clear that she has all the confidence in the world and she is now someone to be revered <laughs> It okay. immediately it immediately follows that because okay. there's like the scene where like the boyfriend's on the steps and he's like, is that really what you want to become? And she's like, I don't want to be them. They want to be me. Yeah. Then they get to that weird shot of her laying on the bed and she's just kicking the air. Yes. Yep. So it's so I think I think it might just supposed to be if like the horrors that are like the horrors to come and the horrors at her in her life that she's not recognizing because she's caught up in her own vanity. I will say that I do like how this film uses mirrors. Yep. She, she is filmed in mirrors a lot. And I I think is very Suspiria. Like I think here though, it's definitely like a comment on beauty standards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And like she is supposed to be a literal reflection of what we view as a society to be beauty. And I thought that was a very subtle touch that I noticed the second time around. Yeah. I'm a like I love the scene where she gets like chosen to be like the the closing girl and you get like a lot of those shots with like her and the triangles and like the reds and the blues and like seeing her reflection and then her like fully embracing her um like her ego I guess if you could say her vanity like that I thought prob- that like that looked great like I love that scene That was probably my favorite part was when she's inside the like that triangle and the glass to her right and her left. Yep. I don't want to say what my favorite part is because it's something that you say and you're like, dude, what the fuck? That's your is favorite part? It's the necrophilia part? scene. Is, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind that scene, but it's not my favorite. So I've I had lots heard of things about... where people are like, this seems so out of place. It seems so wrong and disgusting. I don't understand why it's here. Well, I'm not convinced why it's there. Like, why it's there? So, touch on that, Zach. If you think you know why. Well, I think you know. A, it's establishing the power that this Jesse character has over Jenna Malone, mm-hmm. and she has transcended 
and she is now this like sexual icon. Like she yep. is not she's not just a model. Like she I don't I don't really know the best way to describe it, but she is just like you know, like the equivalent of like what a cosmopolitan magazine would name like sexiest woman of the year. Like she she because of what Jenna Malone does in that scene, it elevates her to that status. Now she is something that people around the world are going to think of when they, you know, do the dirty work themselves. Hmm. She almost gives off this weird vibe of divinity. How so? That makes sense. Like, not like in a good way. Just like in, um, like she at, at any point in this movie is godlike to these people. Yeah. But yes and no, where you, she's she's revered like that, but she's not respected like that because they very much hate her because of t- because of what they have over them. So like in inspires jealousy, being desired. Yeah. But which which character are you talking about? Jenna Malone's character or Elle Fanning's? Elle Fanning's. Oh, okay. So like the the like the the male gaze is sort of all over this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like these women may like I, they definitely don't like her because she is what they used to be, which is desired by people in general. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't I don't know as if I would say divinity in that scenario then because they don't respect so. her, but she is looked uh, at as so. this as this otherworldly being. But she's been elevated to that status. I feel like it was. It's more because the the kind of concept, uh, the kind of idea I got from it was, she's not just what these women once were. She is more than what they once were. Oh, absolutely. She mm-hmm. is beyond what they ever have been or ever will be. Well, and that's that. why, like, that's why, like, that ending scene is so powerful and crazy and they kind of it was a Amazing. weird foreshadowing moment to that too wasn't there yeah there's some in the film like when, like she, when it cuts her hands yeah exactly okay. what I was it, yeah oh, i forgot about that scene that scene's great too yeah yeah and i think definitely there's even a, wasn't expecting that and then like what? even the very beginning like just showing her on the couch like that i think in and of itself is foreshadowing of what's to come yeah like i think I don't know. I guess the last 20 minutes of this movie are definitely shocking and surprising. Very. When you think about instances like that, it's like, well, maybe it's really not that shocking after all. Yeah, and not even just the last 20 minutes. Like, I feel like it was just the last 20 minutes were definitely the most um, shocking of the film. But um, it was a little sprinkle here and there of one thing and then another and then another and another that made you say, well, that took a different turn than what I was expecting, or what the fuck? Yeah. Which I, I love it though. I I love it all. I get why you love it. It's just the couple sprinkles wasn't enough to keep me interested and keep me attached. Like I was like not, not attached, but like uh, to keep me strung along. Well, what's interesting is like I saw like an interview with, or I was like read like a little snippet of an interview with. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn and he was like talking about like what happens to the three women at the end of the movie 
like what specifically happens to them reflects and mirrors like all of their like struggles and shortcomings like throughout the film so like i don't want to like just say it out because of that makes sense actually like i don't want to specifically say it out because like it's pretty spoilerish but like so like when you reflect back on it like just seeing like how those characters acted in the movie and then seeing like what happened to them at the end like it's it's pretty clever like it's it's very shocking and very disturbing and fucked but like a really clever way to do that we're gonna have to do a spoiler section because i'm gonna need you to explain that to me yeah, okay. I think we should. I think we should just be. We should do one just to talk about it openly in general. Okay, that's okay. fine. Um, I know that. I I am curious, like, how much of this he scripted and how much of it they sort of work out on set, because I know he shoots movies chronologically for that reason specifically. Yes. And he says he doesn't want to know where the movie is going until it gets there. So what? I'd be curious to know at which point he knew those things were going to happen. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to know. Well, because I had read that he didn't plan on the necrophilia scene at all. That's good. That's that's a hell of a day for that extra. It just happened. <laughs> like it just it just happened. Yeah. You think her salary got bumped up for that scene? I, I would hope she would ask for more for that. Um, just like in, but like yeah, like in terms of the look and everything, like I love it. Um. I love like how the male characters are treated in this. Like it's like some of it is kind of, I think it is a little bit lazy writing kind of, but at the same time, like it's effective enough that I can just sort of shrug it off and not really worry about it. Yeah. Uh, I think Keanu Reeves plays a great creepy guy. He's pretty sleazy. Yeah. He's very sleazy, but like, I think he's great. Um, and I think, I think Elle Fanning does – I don't think she's amazing by any means, but like I think she does a well enough a well enough job that like I don't uh, – I don't know if I want to make as bold a claim as that she's the only one that could play this role, but no, like she definitely, holds her, she definitely holds her own. Emma Watson could have played the shit out of this role. Uh, yeah, somebody maybe, tells me maybe. ultra-feminist. Emma Watson wouldn't step foot on this movie set. No, but she still could have killed it if she gave it a shot. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I don't think I have anything else that's not spoiler to say about this. I, I'm i surprised at how positively this movie wasn't reviewed. Like, I don't think it's hovering at very great reviews. It's like, and that's... On Letterboxd, it's like a three and a half. That's so, like, it's so, so shocking to me. I don't understand. Maybe because like a lot of people don't a like bit... a lot of people don't like that weird shit, Zach. Yeah, well, they're dumb. I think yeah. I think um, a movie and a movie like this needs to have at least some sort of story. Like whether and it it has a story, but it's just like it doesn't flex the story enough. Like I understand that it may not have been the purpose of the movie to you know make a story and it could have been um a movie based on how everything looks which is when you break it down the general theme of the movie but still i feel they didn't talk about the story enough to um keep you attracted to what was going on the whole time like they didn't want you to know what happened next i guess i don't care about plot very much 
not so in I think, this, something like this. I just mean like in general. I don't. I don't. I'm not taken to movies that are overly plotty. I care. I just was just very interested in the dynamic of these characters, and I think that he. These are pretty good characters, and like it goes to some interesting places. Yeah, and it's interesting for two-dimensional characters. I will give you that. That it's two-dimensional people. I mean, it's interesting to see how things play out in the end, but I feel if you don't have that big kind of reveal at the end, it doesn't necessarily save it. Yeah, I've, like, read some things online that, like, a lot of people were complaining about, like, a lot of characters, like, seem, like, pretty thin and weak. But I feel like that's kind of the point. That's like, them these as women, people. Like, if these women only care about their looks, like, yeah, they're going to seem, like, very thin, like, superficial characters. <laughs> Cause that's that's what they are. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like you're so critiquing I, them for being what they are. Which makes yeah, no so sense. like, I so I am very like this seems like the type of movie that like yeah the common viewer yeah would hate this movie, but it just seems like something that the like critics would jump all over. Maybe it's, it's just it's a bold movie, very bold. But if you take something like Suspiria, that was well received. So it was I don't very know. divisive. Yeah, but I still think generally it had positive reviews, whereas this, I think, has way more negative reviews. I think Refn is just one of those people. Yeah, but I think I it mean, sounded, also sounded like he wanted it to be divisive. Oh, he definitely does. He says... Cause there's, a, there's a documentary that his wife made about the making of Only God Forgives, and he says... Something along the lines of, like, if 50% like it and 50% hate it, then you made a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I think he definitely strives for that. But, like, it's not surprising, given that he's the protege of Alejandro Jodorowsky, so... Okay, yeah, there you go. Movie makers have protégés? I mean, he's, like, Alejandro Jodorowsky's, like, his mentor. Who is that? I... You would hate him. Let's just say that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he did the Holy Mountain, which I want to see really badly. Oh, you mean he didn't make uh, Fast and the Furious Eight? He did not make the Fast and the Furious. He did oh. Tokyo Drift. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't like him. <laughs> uh, but uh, do you guys have anything else to say that's non-spoiler? No. Oh, nope. the score. The score is amazing. I couldn't pick out the score. Watch it again. It was kind of the score. Pretty synthy, right? Cliff Martinez, yeah. Anyway, it definitely works really well. Like especially like the especially the scene that we were talking about earlier where like the her like seeing herself in the triangles, like that fits really well. And then the end, it's like, it's, the end it's credit song. In your face. The end credit song is a fucking banger. Yes it is. And stay for the end credits. Okay, you do, it doesn't mean you didn't notice the song. I literally, as soon as the as soon as you ended, saw, I as soon as fade the to black, as soon as I fade to black, you jumped up and shut your TV off so that you didn't notice any of the credits. <laughs> yeah, I got out of there. I got out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I was not feeling this movie at all. Well, a couple what you, things. What do you give it out of five stars? Hold on, a couple things you guys have said have uh, bumped it up half a star, but um, overall, I'm giving it a two and a half. Yikes. Ooh, okay. 
Zach? Uh, it's a five for me. Hard five. Okay. Which I got to say, that's a pretty big increase from your initial rating on this movie, Zach. I did originally give it a two and a half. That's true. What was your thinking then? Why did you give it so low? I think I fell asleep for a lot of it. And then... Trying to save his own I, ass. <laughs> uh, so I remember... I remember not liking the fact that it was a movie about... That I thought it would... I don't know. I, did, I remember not liking how vain everyone was. But then I guess I sort of realized that was the point on this time watching it. And so I was like... It seems stupid not to like it for that reason. When he's literally doing it intentionally. And then... I don't know, like, all the visual stuff worked a lot better for me this time around. And I've just seen a lot of his other works that sort of give new light to this one. Mm -hmm. So I just appreciate it a lot more. Nice. And you said you you gave it a five? Yeah, and I was a fan of the necrophilia scene both times. (laughs) Uh, okay uh, I'm giving it a four and a half Um, okay so let's get into brief spoilers then for um, the neon demon if you haven't watched the movie stop listening now um so Chris, you wanted the big thing you wanted to get into was the downfall of the women, like what that yeah. meant. I just so no, Zach, did, I want you, you to explain to me what you meant. So the one who vomits the eyeball and yes. guts herself, I would. I'm imagining that she's the one who has trouble like dieting. That's the girl that she's the plastic surgery girl. Yeah, she's the one that was doing all the plastic surgery. So like her eating jesse and like trying to like capture whatever they were trying to capture like didn't work for her because she was trying to artificially create beauty and you just can't do that because like there's the because the the fashion guy tells them that like that's the one thing that you can't do like it's obvious when you try to do it and then the girl the woman who um um like thrives from it she picks up the eye and eats it and like thrives from it she was just i think she was like the one that just always felt like an outsider a little bit like so her her and so i think she felt like an outsider but she never really necessarily felt bad about herself though so just her consuming jesse was like she was able to take on essentially like whatever it was they were taking on, and now, assumedly, she's going to be this big success. Hmm. So, assuming now that we're in spoilers, my favorite shot of this movie is when they're bathing in her blood. Like it's just, hmm. it's such a poignant image, and it's like, he wow, like, bravo, Refin, you went there, you went yes. there, <laughs> you had Sick to it. He went everywhere else. You might as well just go. That's there. what I'm saying. Like, it's weird to be like, "That's your favorite scene." Like, what the fuck? But like, it's it's the image that I think of immediately when you say the neon demon. Like, it just really sticks out. So like, so I guess I kind of ex. So I wasn't that thrown off that they decided to kill Jesse. Like that, I guess I kind of saw that coming. Like killing her out of jealousy. 
But then, like, when they're sitting there and they're like, the girl's like, have you ever had someone take something from you? And she's like, yes. She's like, what'd you do? And they were like, I ate her. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. we're going there. Like, I just knew, I knew immediately that it was literal. That was great. That I just, like, there is so much blood and, like, gore that just comes in this last 15 minutes. And it's just, it's all phenomenal i kind of like like i i like that he goes there too because like when you pose a question like what are you willing to do for like fame like what are you willing to do to be successful i think this is as far as you can go like yeah because people be like oh i'd kill for that like okay like we've seen that before but then to like eat (laughs) (laughs) your competition and like try to like absorb their spirit or talent or like whatever it is you're trying to get like that yeah you're right like is as far as you can go I think that's sort of the point of bathing in her blood, where it's like she has this undefinable quality, and whatever it is, we sort of like want to get it through this process, through this this ritual of like we're going to bathe in her blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sense. like it's also very common imagery for like witches and whatnot, where like blood of someone pure would make them young forever. And yes. so I think that's also what he's getting at. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was really effective, and I liked it. I, I'm, I'm glad that he went there. I applaud it. I guess I like, I never the first time, I was like, wait, they killed her? Like, the, f- I don't know. No, no. I, I noticed. I don't. I wish I could go back to my first viewing and sort of wonder what was going through my head. Because, like, I don't remember any of that stuff working for me. But this time around, I was all in. A much younger Zach. You didn't have as much film under your belt. I watched it, I think, when it came out. Or you haven't been tainted yet. Now you are tainted. I mean, I this, think this, if I had, this is I one think, of those movies that's made for me. Like, I loved it. I think if I had seen this in 2016, I don't know as if I would have liked it either. I wouldn't have given it the time of day. Yeah, you were too busy watching Goodwill Hunting for the 20th time. Yeah, and I'd watch it for a 21st time, too. <laughs> Let's see, 2016, um, you were probably watching... Um, Birdman. Probably still stroking it to American Sniper. Oh my fucking gosh. No, I didn't like American Sniper first time I saw it. Or you like said it until you loved it. Yeah, but then I gave it a second chance and I watched it again and I really did like it. Chris, do you think you would eat Bradley Cooper? No. <laughs> I, I, I like bradley cooper but I, I i wouldn't want to be bradley cooper okay just curious i don't know if i can handle that much pressure being handsome oh i just dawned on me too that l's character l fanning's character is a virgin in the movie too yes oh yeah so that's big time okay yep so oh, she's yeah. pure yeah i would say that's a pretty perfect ending for this pure um okay but that's all i guess i really had to say for spoilers anything else for you guys you wanted to bring up and talk about openly it is surprising to me how long after she's killed that the movie just sort of lingers on yes i'm pretty sure 
15 minutes? I'm 10 pretty minutes? sure the necrophilia happens after they kill her. No, no, no. no it's it's before. way before. Is it? It's after Jesse like, turns her down for sex. Yeah, but don't they kill her that night? Yeah, so like she turns her down. Then there's the necrophilia scene. Then... Then it come it comes back later that night where she's like standing on the diving board and then there's the chase to the house. Yep. Okay. I mean, she's dead, but she's not dead in a way. Because that it kind of seems like that it factor got passed on to the other girl. Maybe. Because like the guy walks in, he's like, I need you to do this. Will you be in this shoot? And she's like, Yeah, sure. And then he fires the other one. Yeah, I got the impression that it got passed on to her. Maybe in temporarily. A, in it a definitely way, yeah, wouldn't yeah. be sustainable. Yeah, we have no way of knowing because the movie ends. But I, I definitely felt that like she got that sec- she got that new chance because of that. Whereas the other and the other girl failed and killed herself. Yeah, take that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's that say? great line, too, where she's like, get her out of me. And then she just takes the scissors and fucking... Yeah, that's pretty great. When she caught, when she pukes up the eyeball, I was like, oh, man. And I was that's like, some great imagery, too. It was. And then I was like, is she going to eat that eyeball? And as soon as she picks it up, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> here like we go. It's a fucking snack. You oh, yeah. fucking gross. He fucking loved it. I'm glad we got to see that too. Oh my gosh. This what is a you... great pairing for Velvet Buzzsaw. What would your mother say? She'd say we're fucked. <laughs> I hope she's listening to this episode specifically. Well, I hope she's not listening to the spoiler section for a movie she hasn't seen. Oh, that's. Eh, nah, she would. <laughs> She's never she, gonna watch it. She's not even never even heard of this movie. She'd she'd listen to uh she'd listen to Zach say that he really liked when they're <laughs> bathing in her own blood and she'd be like that motherfucker. <laughs> That's sick fuck. Gam Gam, I hope you're listening too. <laughs> no, if I I would make my the mom would lose, if she actually listened to the whole episode, she would be like so you like necrophilia now, huh? You like sending me yeah. text messages like that. <laughs> oh man, Leanne, send him that text. <laughs> send it to him, please. I might, I might text mom just to be like, "Hey, mom, if you listen to nothing else, just please listen to this one all the way through. <laughs> like, just please, for our sake, just we just want to know what you think. Just listen." <laughs> oh gosh! Imagine if Mike listened to it. I don't think he would. No. No. Easy top. He doesn't <laughs> even know what a, he doesn't even know what a podcast is. What a podcast? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> are they on the radio now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anything else to say? Any other spoilers? No. Seek this. If you're still listening, you shouldn't be. We've just ruined the movie. Uh, but seek it out. 
Watch it again and again. Um, or don't. Because <laughs> you like you say. like Drive, right? Yeah. I think this is better than Drive, but this one this, me. this one annoyed me. I like Drive a lot, but I think this is better than Drive. Well, I haven't seen I think, Drive in years, so I think Ruffin truly showed that he knows fashion when he has Ryan Gosling wear that white leather scorpion jacket. Still, oh, hell yeah, top ten jacket in cinema history. It's an amazing jacket that you can buy on eBay for pretty cheap. Oh, How cheap are you talking? I, I mean, I'm like, I mean, I'm no gauze, but you know, I think you can get it for like sixty bucks. Oh yeah, because that's relatively cheap. I mean, compared to like an authentic leather jacket. Fair enough. All right, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Okay, so let's move on then and get into some other things that we watched this week. Uh, Chris, what you got for us? Um, shit, I forgot what I watched this week. Because is it because you haven't been logging them on Letterbox? Yeah, yeah I haven't it, logged. What's any- up with that? I don't know. I just got out of the swing of it, and I just haven't done it in a couple of day, a couple of weeks, a couple I days. Checked, weeks, yeah. I checked yesterday and today because I wanted to see if you had watched the movies you're supposed to. And then, oh, I'll watch those. I'll for sure watch those. Um, yeah, this was a week of rewatches for me. Um, I rewatched uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Shocker. Still as great as the first four times I saw it in theaters. You saw it four, four times? times in theater? Yeah, it did. It's it's tied for number one. Oh my What's God. the other one, Chris? I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say. What's the other one, Chris? <laughs> the other movie I saw in theater four times was John Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. It was John Carter. In my defense, that wasn't my choice. <laughs> Whose choice was it? The first time, it was my mom's. The second time, it was my dad's. The third time, it was my brother's. And the fourth time, it was a family friend Susan's. So <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I just didn't want to tell him no. I felt bad, so I saw it four times in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have all four tickets, too. So does the Silver Linings playbook hold up for the fourth time? Yeah, it really does. Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's chemistry is out of this world good. I would uh, put it up there with Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling good. Okay, nice. I'd put it up there with Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet good. I need to. I definitely need to revisit. I do not remember a single thing about that movie. Titanic or Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. That no. Is that, well, that's because because it just doesn't have any uh, necrophilia or uh, naked blood showers in it. So that's the only reason Zach doesn't like. Story. If it did. <laughs> it starts off normal, and then all of a sudden you just see Jennifer Lawrence or Bradley Cooper in a naked bloodbath. Or if Bradley Cooper in their final dance kills Jennifer Lawrence and bathes in her blood. Oh my gosh, dude. You're a sick fuck. <laughs> I like movies that have a story. I just like a story. 
I like filmmaking. For, I like film for the actual shots themselves and the actual film and what they do with it. But I like the story and how they go through that process. Great stories like cock blockers, right? I never said that was a great story. <laughs> it's just friggin' hilarious. Great stories like Gangs of New York. That is a great story. That is actually a great story. It's okay. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, you guys can uh, chartle on my balls. <laughs> uh, Zach, what did you watch this week? Well, I went from a terrible Netflix film to a great one. I watched Noah Baumbach's The Meyerowitz Stories. Mm. Nice. Um, again, I've seen it before. I I love this movie a lot. I think, you know, Noah Baumbach has this way of crafting characters and dialogue in just this very interesting way. And it's always set against the backdrop of New York City. And I don't know, it's a movie that's just about like family and it's about this father who has sort of neglected all of them. But yet they still feel that they need to impress him or like win his love. And so that just sort of plays out over X amount of time. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is amazing in this movie. Um, I like Adam Sandler a lot in this movie too. I think this is his best role since Punch Drunk Love. Uh, You clearly didn't see Grown Ups 2, but you know, (laughs) whatever floats your boat. You're right. Best role since Jack and Jill. Where he has two roles. Each one as good as the next. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those movies that like people just sort of talk. And you sort of listen to them talk. And like, there's this really great scene where Duffin Hoffman and Ben Stiller are at, this, uh, are at lunch in this really fancy place in New York City. And you know, like, <laughs> they have like, it's basically like a long stretch of booth with just multiple tables, and you're supposed to sort of just, like, sit, and, like, this guy next to Dustin Hoffman keeps, like, putting his car keys and stuff, like, on Dustin Hoffman's side of the table, and then he puts, like, his wine glass there, so Dustin Hoffman just grabs it and takes a big pull off of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny, like, the comedy in this movie works really well. Adam Sandler, I think he's pretty funny. And his do- he has a daughter in the movie, and she makes, like, she's going to film school, and she makes these, like, really ridiculous movies. Like, one of them is called Pagina Man, and it's, like, <laughs> this character who has a penis and a vagina. <laughs> it's just... It's hilarious. Oh, gosh. When I, when I watched uh, Private Life, it kind of reminded me of the same kind of humor. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. It's the same humor that's in all of his movies, which is just it's just really dry, and it's like it's humor that comes from he teeters the line between like comedy and tragedy like very well. Yeah, it's I recommend it. It's very good. Nice. So in my. In my fever dreams here, I wanted to watch something that was pretty simple. I could just throw on and just kind of watch for a little bit. So I decided to check out Spider-Man Homecoming, which I had not seen. Um, 
wasn't really expecting a whole lot out of it, but I actually really liked it. Um, I think it's the second it's best not. Spider-Man, the second best Spider-Man movie I've seen. Behind the uh, Into the Spider Verse, of course. You guys, you guys really need to rewatch the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. They're still good. Is that the Tobey Maguire one? Yes. I mean, I was I'm the not a big Tobey Maguire fan. I wasn't even a big Tobey Maguire fan back when they came out and watched them. Like the first one is the only one worth watching. Look, like, he's no, so cheesy. Number two is still good. No, I'm sorry. Doc Ock is not a that, that was not a good that was not a good betrayal. No, Doctor Ock is an amazing villain because you can sympathize. You know exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Like his character arc makes sense so that doesn't mean it's a good character portrayal yes it does <laughs> no it doesn't okay so you could say that the essence of character is they want something and there are obstacles put in their way to achieving it. like that is the very basics of conflict yes so doc ock wants something and the thing put in his way is Spider-Man, and then you just... Spider-Man! And then the, the train scene in that movie yes, yeah. is better than any set piece in a Marvel movie to date. I will I will give props to said train scene, but and really the whole five minutes after that, but I'm just not a fan of that whole movie in general. It's kind of disinteresting. We need to do a Hall of Fame review, I guess, of the three Spider-Man movies. You will not def- get any of them in. <laughs> you will not get any of them in. I would definitely like to revisit them, but like, I've always thought that Tobey Maguire makes a really cheesy Spider-Man. I'm not a huge fan of him. I really don't like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. Um, but I, I do like Tom Holland. He's like the only character that's the most believable as a high school student. One. <laughs> Um, I also really enjoyed the premise of of this movie, where it's where it's him still trying to figure out his powers and like trying to figure out like where he fits in with the Avengers. And I like that. I like that they st- yeah. that they use the full two plus hours of the movie to explore just like him getting to know him, like his suit and his in his strengths and his abilities. Um. And when he thinks he's doing good, you know, maybe he's doing harm. Like, I really enjoyed that whole premise. And it's probably one of the first Marvel movies that I've seen in a while that I actually that I actually enjoy. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And if I if I would give a star ratings, I would probably give it a pretty high one. I liked how I like his witty banter. He's really yeah. the only Spider-Man where I believed his witty banter throughout the whole thing. Yes, agreed. And I mean, I liked I like um, Tony Stark's like presence in it. Yeah, I like that he's sort of his mentor and um, like how like, ambitious he is to like to be in the Avengers and mm-hmm. like Tony Stark shutting him down, but for good reason. Like I like, I really enjoyed all of that. Hey man, I agree with you. Yeah. All right. What else you got, Chris? Um. Shit, I gotta go back. Oh, uh, this was a TV week for me. I've um, continued watching The Sopranos. Ooh, nice. I'm a fan. I uh, am probably gonna watch it after this. 
How I've, far into it are you now? It, near the end of season. Actually, I just finished season one. I'm starting season two. Oh, okay. So you're moving it, right along. Yeah, it's a pretty wild show. Yeah. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of Tony Soprano. I know, and plus, I figured out that my ancestors are from the same province of Italy that he's from. So really, yeah. So yeah. Also, I watched A Master of None, the uh, TV show with Aziz Ansari. Season one or two? Both. Okay. And I am waiting on season three, Aziz. Give it to me. I think they canceled it. No, why? Uh, Because of that woman who came out with sexual misconduct claims against him. What? That's sad. Did he do it? Uh, He admitted to it. Like, it's a very... She said that he made her feel... They went on a date. They went back to his apartment. And then he just made her feel, like, uncomfortable. He didn't do anything to her, but she just felt uncomfortable. But never expressed that. I don't think anything, like, happened happened. But he, like, publicly, like, apologized and said that he was sorry. That he never intended anything like that to happen. But yeah, I'm pretty sure they canceled it after that. I well, Nef- no, Netflix says that they want to continue it. But hmm. Aziz Aziz might not do it. That'd I think, be sad, man. It's a really good show. I think he shouldn't do it. Why? He's just going to be subjected to so much harassment if he does. Why? Why do For you all think? the reasons Zach just said. I don't know. <laughs> like I people mean, people that have did. no idea like what happened are gonna like just publicly shame him. But that's what I'm saying, is that if they don't know what happened, why should they publicly shame him? They shouldn't, but they do. All right. Zach, what did you watch? What else did you watch this week? <laughs> <laughs> Moving us along here. Here we go. Uh, I watched... I'm basically just making my way through the Noah Baumbach films. So I watched uh, While We Were Young. Any particular reason, or just... It's just how I'm organizing my time now. Just doing it? Nice. Next is probably Jim Jarmusch. Um, I like While We're Young quite a bit. Uh, so it's from 2014, written and directed by Noah Baumbach, starring Ben Stiller, Naomi Watts, Adam Driver, and Amanda Seyfried. So basically, this older... Oh, and Adam Horowitz... Also, A.K.A. Ad Rock. Oh yeah, nice. So basically, the general premise is like um, Naomi Watts and Ben Stiller are this older couple, and they befriend Adam Driver and Amanda Seyfried, who are this younger couple. And it's for a while, it just sort of explores the stark differences in the generations. And I think that's that was sort of interesting. But then it's just, it takes this turn with Adam Driver that I really don't care for. And I really don't get how it connects with the rest of the movie. And, like, I think ultimately the movie is about coming to terms with who you're not anymore. 
And so it's like a lot of the film is Adam Driver is basically a hipster. And so it's like he has a lot of vinyl. You know, he wears really weird clothing and has American traditional tattoos and like he's he's a hipster. He wears a fedora. So like, yeah. And it's like Ben's like there's a point where they're trying to figure out something and Ben says like, Oh, I'll just Google it and Adam Driver's like, No, don't like if we think of it, we think of it. If not, let's just not know. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> and so there definitely like is this idea of nostalgia for things you could actually be nostalgia for versus the younger generation that can't because they didn't have it. And that's I like that. But yeah, it's just about you know, Ben Stiller obviously there's obviously something there that they want to be that they see in this younger couple that they want to be. And it's just coming to terms with you're not that anymore. So I think that's a it's a pretty interesting premise. And it's very well acted. It looks great. Uh, there's some good music. It's funny. I think it's one of his funnier movies. And definitely his most accessible to people. I think, Chris, you would probably like it. Well, I will have to take that into consideration. Um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I like Adam Driver a lot, but just what his character does is I don't care for. Mm. Um, let me see. So I think it was... Thursday? Yeah. So Thursday was one of the days where I was really hurting. So um, I started off by rewatched The Incredibles 2, which I actually think I liked more on a rewatch, kind of just like knowing what it was. And I get over the initial disappointment of waiting 15 years, whatever it is, for the sequel. Um, I find all that a very aside, hard time believing anyone was actually waiting for a sequel. I guess more getting over the hype that there's a sequel was coming out after so many years, whatever. What was it going to be about? Da, 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 da. Once I'd seen it, all that's out of the way. Now I rewatched it. Um, I liked it a lot more. Um, I found it to be a lot funnier the second time around. Um, I thought some of the action sequences were a lot better the second time around. Like I really liked the chase sequence of Elastigirl and chasing down the train. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like the ending scene on the boat quite a bit. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, like, I don't even have a whole lot to say about it. But, um, and then after I finished that, I immediately watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I hadn't seen that in a long time. Old probably reliable. Since, probably since I was in high school, I hadn't seen it. And I think even then it was like watching it on USA Network or something like that. So it's been a while, and now all three of our, or their three original are on Netflix now. So I'll probably end up watching The Temple of Dune and Last Crusade here pretty soon. You're not going to watch King of the Crystal Skull? I don't know if that's on Netflix, is it? I mean, I imagine if they put the other three on there, they have to put King of the Crystal Skull. It uh, might be. It's distributed by different people, so no, they don't have to. Really? Oh, that's just a guess, Zach. No need to get so personal. Well, you said <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, I would imagine. Like I it's, would it's, imagine. I'm glad. That. I'm glad you have a very uh, active imagination. 
but in reality, there are rules to how this works. Yeah, I get it now. Jesus. <laughs> um, but I think it still holds up pretty well. Um, I still really enjoy it. Some of the some of the dialogue is kind of cheesy. Um, some like the romance stuff between him and I can't remember what the woman's name is in the movie. Is like kind of cheesy, but some of the action still works pretty well. Uh, Harrison Ford's still great in it. I can't say that I'm in support of Indiana Jones Five, but it's uh, it was good to revisit Raiders of the Lost Ark. A lot of fun. And then lastly, on that day, I watched this documentary called The Wolf Pack, which is, oh, is that direct- the other uh, the documentary by. Crystal Mosel. Yep. Um, and it's about it's about these um, seven kids that are all homeschooled in this Lower East Side uh, New York apartment, and they're not allowed to leave their apartment at all. They're only confined to the apartment. And I think they can, I think they go out sometimes every now and then under certain circumstances. But like in the documentary, they talk about how. There was one year where they never stepped foot outside the apartment once. Ooh. Um, so the only way that they really know anything about the outside world is through what they see in movies. And so to pass the time, a lot of them, they like spend their times like watching movies and just writing out the script for said movie. And then the brothers will all just pick a role and then reenact the film. So it was just kind of like an interesting story to um, just to like see them and like how they get by in their life and what their relationship with their parents are like. Um, I think their dad was um, – he was like some guide in South America who would like take people on these trails, like specifically Americans. And their mother just like thought he was like this really wise, cool guy and they got married and, but then come to find out he's like this just really controlling guy that like he like thinks he's really important and like thinks he's enlightened and has all these answers. So these they're just like expected to um, like follow like under his command. Um, but one day one of the brothers decides he's like, you know what? Screw this. Like I'm not going to stay put in here. So they he goes out into the world and. He's like dressed like a, oh he puts on a uh, he puts on a homemade Michael Myers mask because he doesn't want he doesn't want his dad to like see him out and about and so he just like goes into these various stores and he like goes into a bank at one point with this mask <laughs> on and so like but he has like no he has no way of knowing like what's socially acceptable so they end up calling the cops on him and he gets arrested. And it, it all ends up getting sorted out, but but like that's like the defining moment where the kids are like, you know what, like screw you, dad, like we're not gonna like live under your rules. And so like they do leave the apartment from time to time, but a lot of their life still is just living in that one apartment. Why can't they leave? Um, they can't leave because the dad has the only key and he keeps the house locked. Can't they unlock it? I think they could, but they like just live in fear of like what will happen if they like break their dad's rules. 
seems crazy to me that someone that controlling would allow a documentary about them to be made. That's exactly what I said to Rachel. I was like, I'm really surprised that they allowed Crystal Mosel to like come into their house. But like he's not really in it a lot because so like they like live in this apartment, but then obviously like within the apartment there's like rooms and like that guy is super secluded. So like he literally only stays in his room and like never really comes out. And it's like the family has kind of gotten to a point where they like don't even really like him anymore or even respect him. And like the mother who was under his thumb a lot, even she's kind of like realizing how kind of fucked up this life is. And so she's starting to do her own thing now. Um, but it was it was interesting. It was really good. If you have Hulu, it's on that. Hulu. So give it a watch. It was good. Chris, what else you got? Nothing worth talking about. You don't want to talk sex in the city? No, I'm only one episode deep. I'm not uh, deep enough to tell you which character I am. Are you only tip deep? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even yeah, say tip deep. I'm just scratching you're, the surface. You're definitely Charlotte. Which one's Charlotte? Uh, the prudy one. I'm, I'm only an episode deep. I'm not sure which one the prudy one is. She the redhead or the long black hair? Long, she has long black hair. hair. She's Katie Holmes. No, she's not Katie Holmes. It's not Katie Holmes. Looks like Katie Holmes. It looks like Katie Holmes, but it's not her. You think I'm Charlotte? I do, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you're definitely not Samantha. Samantha is the blonde one, right? Yes. No, I'm not Samantha. I mean, I guess you could be Miranda. I could but be you're Carrie. Definitely, you're definitely not Carrie. I don't know. I could be a Carrie, man. No. I put off a Carrie vibe. No, you don't. What do you mean I you don't? You put off a Charlotte vibe. You want to be safe, and you don't want anything bad to happen to you, and so you just live this nice little life and don't want to be bothered by anyone. Dang, this Have is very, so personal. Very traditional values. <laughs> uh, you probably believe marriage is between a man and a woman. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> Guys, okay. Just so just so we're clear, this is a description of Charlotte, not Chris. I'm not against gay people. They can get married if they want. Oh gosh, (laughs) I'm. I don't know. Are they called gay people anymore? I think so. Or we going with homosexuals? I don't know. I don't know what to call them, guys. I'm sorry. You can just call them people or their name. Well, yeah, but it's that's a characteristic they have. Well, that's a, it's a, it's a characteristic. I don't know what to say. I don't Copo, get Chris, get him. No, no, I'll cut this out for you. No, this is it's it's a it's a um. I don't want to. It doesn't. Your lawyer, Chris. I would just say just. End your sentence. Just don't say anything. I want to. I want to keep going. I want to define what I'm saying. I don't. Basically, mean... the point I was getting at is that you're not Carrie Bradshaw. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, like, I like gay people. So I like some later, gay people. I don't like all of them. Some of them are dicks. I've met some gay people who are dicks, but I've met some straight people who are dicks too. So some so of you are dicks. Had, they were just dick people. They had nothing to do with their sexual preference. <laughs> I know that. I know that. I'm just saying. 
Oh, man, we're going to get shut down next week. Yeah, last episode. (laughs) Farewell, everyone. Well, edit this out, Zach. (laughs) So, later on in the show, Charlotte marries um, this guy named... I think his name's Trent. And it's uh, Kyle McLaughlin from Portlandia and Twin Peaks. I didn't watch either of those shows. Okay. Um, <laughs> basically, like, this guy is impotent, and, like, she wants to have children, and, like, they can't because he's impotent, and I don't know, Chris, that's just, I just think you're Charlotte. Are you saying I'm impotent? I'm saying in this scenario, you're the woman, so no. <laughs> oh. Um, I will not agree with that. I think I'm Carrie. I'm just saying, like, she wants the very traditional relationships. That's what you will find out in that show, and I think... I may not be a traditionalist, Zach. I could be I could be some raunchy-ass mofo. Uh, I've known you almost my entire life, and that's not true. <laughs> I'm a pretty raunchy-ass mofo. I want, I want people to think that. Good luck. Whatever. I'm hurt. First, Do you want to be Miranda? Is that what you want? Okay, we're gonna. No, we're... I don't want to be Miranda. I, I know that for a fact. I don't. Okay, be we're gonna Miranda. we're gonna settle this. I just brought up the which Sex in the City character are you cosmopolitan quiz. Perfect. Okay. And we're gonna go through it. So, Chris, first question: Love at first sight is forget love. I'd rather have sex. <laughs> Absolutely real. It's utter a very fiction. Samantha answer. Utter fiction or cute in theory? What's your answer? Cute in theory. Okay. Uh, you haven't gotten any action lately. You. Pull out your handy vibrator. <laughs> Focus on other things such as reading and jogging. There's something called Tinder that can easily take care of that. Or go on the aggressive meeting people. Friends, dating apps, you'll find someone. What's the first one? Pull out your handy vibrator. Yeah, probably that one. Okay. That's that's a very Miranda answer. Your lingerie of choice is whatever's functional since it's coming off anyway, a lacy corset that doesn't require much skill to take off, a colorful bra and a thong, or a very cute bra and panty set. I think I'm going to have to go with the first one. It's coming. No. No, I'm going to go with the colorful bra and thong. I think that's what I would sport. Okay. That's very carry of you. The guy you're into is starting to fade. What's your last move? Some decent sext ending with a promise that if he comes by, I'll give him a night he'll never forget. A text asking straight up what your deal is and that if he's not interested, he should just stop talking to you now. An invite to meet you at the bar where you'll look your hottest. An invitation to a home-cooked dinner at your place. Oh, definitely number four. Home-cooked dinner all the way, man. Oh, man, okay. that was very Charlotte of you. <laughs> Your relationship... Zach, I love that you know the characteristics of all the I characters. Do. I know where all these answers are tied to. I know which character they are. Okay, your relationship deal breaker is when the guy just has too small a dick, won't put you first, won't emotionally connect with you, is just too clingy and generally asking for too much of your time. Oh, uh, probably generally clingy and asking for too much of my... No, wait, hold on. Oh, too lately. Too bad. I just did. I just clicked that. that. That's fine. I I still think that's a valid answer. Okay. Very Miranda. 
You had two great dates with a guy you just met. You are ready to call it and switch to one of the other five guys you're dating. After Facebook stalking and getting all intel possible to confirm he's not a crazy, reach out and suggest dinner. Suggest an original date, such as cooking together or film festival, that'll totally charm him. Or wait for him to text you since you know. If he's interested, he'll pursue you, and that's more romantic. Probably the second one. Facebook stalking one? Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably Facebook stalk, see what's going on. Okay. Also very Miranda of you. Okay. What's oh. your favorite sex position? Cowgirl. You don't really have one favorite. You're into mixing it up. Missionary. Or what isn't? Hmm. As in, what isn't your favorite sex position? I'm going to have to go with old reliable. Missionary? I, I, like, I like the missionary. Why not? Oh, what okay. up, Charlotte? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Second to last question. A guy takes you out to drinks. You want to impress him. So you order whatever you want because your conversation should be impressing him, not alcohol. Sex on the beach just because the word sex is in it and he should take a hint. Whatever he's having because you can take it. Wine because that's totally sophisticated. Sex on the – or not sex on the beach. The the conversation one. Shouldn't matter. Okay. Okay, last question. What's your true sex fantasy? You're seriously asking that? This blank won't do it justice. It's that intense. The most charming guy in the world, after proposing so romantically, of course, takes you home. A super buff, handsome guy whisks you away to a luxury penthouse, and you go at it all night. Probably after the romantic proposal. Okay. Maybe you are Carrie after all. Calculating. Calculating. You are Miranda. What? That was my second choice for you. You're logical. So here it says, you're logical and rational. You don't have time for games and your friends really appreciate your frankness and honesty. Just be careful not to come off too cold and inflexible as you go after what you want. Your strong sense of direction is enviable, but remember life's a journey. Do I do I put off a Miranda vibe? I mean, I said you were either Charlotte or Miranda. Do you think I'm Miranda, Jake? I mean, she's very I'm career driven. Literally, have never seen one episode. Am I career driven? I do. You, you don't have a career right now, so it's hard to say. How's Enterprise? How's Enterprise going? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't think so, man. Shit, I'm kind of like insulted. But, like, Miranda is pretty cool from what I've seen so far. So you, like, picked, you answered, honestly, yeah. So, you guys are Miranda, dude. Shit. All right, guys. Uh, email us with who you are. <laughs> Can we put this link anywhere? Can we post this link with our uh, our podcast posts? Sure. If you just Google Sex in the City character quiz, you'll find it. Send that to me on Facebook. I'm posting that with my Facebook post. Oh, that's freaking funny. <clears throat> okay, Zach, you got anything else you watched this week you want to talk about? Um, sure. I like got a couple things left. Uh, I watched this movie from 2014 called The Skeleton Twins, directed by Craig Johnson. So the film opens, it stars uh, Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig as siblings who reconnect after not speaking to each other for 10 years. 
Uh, and the film opens with Bill Hader, who's gay in the movie, and he uh, attempts to kill himself. And then she, uh, and then there's like cuts to Kristen Wiig, who's standing in the bathroom with a handful of pills. That it appears as though she's about to attempt to kill herself as well. And she gets the call saying that her brother is in the hospital. And then they just sort of reconnect from there. And it's weird to say, like, based on that description, that the movie is funny. But it's pretty funny. Like, I would say Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig have some great chemistry. And that's basically the reason to watch the movie. Um, like, plot-wise and story-wise, I don't think it goes anywhere that original or that interesting. Uh, there's a pretty great lip-syncing sequence that I think Chris would laugh hysterically at. I'm down with that. Lip-syncing's um, hilarious. Yeah, it's it's good, not great. I think Chris would also like this movie. My gosh. Yeah. Was it a good movie? I said good not you're you're not even listening, so I'm not gonna repeat myself. Yeah, you said it was a good movie. <laughs> so do you think I would like movies that you find great? Well, I think the Neon Demon is great. I think we'd have to examine it on a case by case basis. Alright. Fair enough. Anything and... else? Oh, is it my turn? I we... thought it was Jake's turn. Oh, it's my turn. You guys just froze, so now you cut back in. <laughs> Uh, let me see. I'll talk about uh, this movie I watched. Um, it's called The Night Eats the World. It's a French film directed by uh, Dominique Rocher, I believe it's pronounced. And the it's a zombie film. And it's about this guy that um, goes to this party to collect some old things from an ex-girlfriend. And um, she like tells him that they're in this other room and that he should go pick them up. So he goes in that room and um, while he's in there waiting for her to come um, come meet so they can have a talk, he ends up falling asleep. And when he wakes up, the world's zombies. There really is no explanation or how it got there. But what it's attempting to do and um, I think it does it, it does an okay job. Um, I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit stronger uh, some stronger elements to like pull this out. But what it's trying to do is just show how isolation and like loneliness like plays on the human psyche. Um, so, like a, so a lot of the film is just like his day, like what he does, how he passes the time. Cause it just all takes place in like this one apartment building. Um, so there's like a, there's a zombie that's like stuck in this elevator in the apartment that he goes to and like talks to. Um, it just shows him as he like, uh, like plays various musical instruments and, um, yeah, it's um, uh, it's not bad. It's uh, I wouldn't say it's it's great by any means, but it's certainly not bad. It's it's an interesting use of the of a zombie film. It's not just like a typical horror, uh, like gory movie where people are just dying and there's like you know, um, it's like attempting to get at something. I just wish it had done it a little bit stronger. Don't really have a whole lot to say. If you have Amazon Prime. 
it's uh, worth a check out. It's only like an hour and a half long. It's a pretty, it's a, it's a breeze. Hmm. It's a breeze. Interesting. Mm, Anything yes. else, Chris? Um, I rewatched Casino Royale for the nut beating. No, that part makes me cringe every single time. Yeah, same. Uh, but this made me think that uh, Daniel Craig is a top three Bond character or top behind, three Bond behind who? Sean Connery and uh, Pierce Brosnan. I knew you were gonna say that. Well, you don't like Pierce Brosnan? No, I do. I just knew you were gonna say that. Oh, all right. Yeah, he's uh, he's top three. I like how uh, he's more mobile than a lot of 007s. Relies more of his forearms and fighting than his actual toys, which is cool. It's what I'm I want. Not very spy-like, though. No, because we, we, we've decided that James Bond isn't a really a good spy. He's a terrible spy, actually. You, you seem to <laughs> doubt it, but yes. No, I'm not saying I doubt it. I'm saying um, I don't know what makes a good spy. The opposite of James Bond. But he gets all the information he needs. It's not the way a spy would get it. <laughs> who, who are you to say what a, what a spy needs to have? What characteristics they need to have? Here's... I think the counter to James Bond would be a movie like Zero Dark Thirty. Like, that yes. is how... That is actually how intel is gathered. Yeah, but that's too realistic for a 007 movie. touche i don't don't know i mean that's just the first sentence that came to mind (laughs) yeah that's all i got man zach anything else uh i watched a movie that i don't think chris would like Oh, here we go. Is this how we're going to rate every movie you watch from now on? Would Chris like it, yes or no? Uh, so this is Noah Baumbach's directorial debut from 1995 called Kicking and Screaming. Uh, Isn't that the name of the Farrell movie where he's the coach? It is the name of that movie, but this okay. came out 10 years before. So it's definitely it's not as good as what you're telling me. Uh, I've not seen Kicking and Screaming, that version anyways. Oh, come on. Wait, is it the same it's... premise? No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally you as a soccer coach, Zach. Um, so he made this movie when he was 24 years old. And it's, what, 24 years later. And I still think it's pretty relevant and resonant. Um. There is no plot to this movie. Like, Chris loves a good story. That's that's not this movie. Mm. Um, it's about a group of friends who just graduated college, and they kind of don't know what to do next, and they're very directionless, and they're just sort of they're just sort of waiting for the next chapter of their life to begin, and without really knowing what that's going to be. Um, I think it's pretty, it's pretty funny. There's some funny characters. Uh, there are definitely some characters that are pretty intolerable. And so this movie happened 
a year after Pulp Fiction. So this was like Eric Stoltz was is now on the map and like he's in this movie and he's in a lot of movies like a couple years after Pulp Fiction. And he's just I like him, but he's just a really weird cast in this movie. Hmm. And he plays like uh, this character who like doesn't leave school. He's been a college student for 10 years. And like he's he's always just kind of there. He doesn't really serve any real purpose. Uh, but the movie seems like I don't know. It's really interested in like the trivialness to these people's lives, like the mundane conversations that they have, like the everyday routines that they go through and what they do. And it's just like you really just get these sense that. They just don't really know what else to do. So I think it's it's really easy to relate to, I guess. I mean, perhaps Jacob would relate to it more, being the only one who actually graduated from college. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. But as someone who dropped out and has gone through points in time where they weren't really sure what to do next, I think it's quite relatable. Very good. Mm. Well, I'll finish it off by saying I also watched a movie that Chris would not like. <laughs> and <laughs> you motherfucker. It's uh it's called Elps, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. And it is about a secret society of people who can be hired by friends or relatives to play the role of a deceased loved one to help with the grieving process. And it's a really cool premise. Um, I really like the idea. I really like Yorgos Lanthimos a lot. So I was excited to check this out, but I didn't really like it all that much. Um, it's supposed to sort of be like the opposite to Dogtooth, where Dogtooth is characters set in like a, f- a fabricated world trying to break out whereas this is a char- a group of characters that are trying to break into a fabricated world um so given the premise like i thought there would be a lot of really interesting moments um like a lot of interesting scenes with like how people respond to these actors clearly portraying like these loved ones and there isn't as much of that as I thought there would be in what there is. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I guess it just didn't really work for me. It didn't seem, well, I guess it makes sense that it doesn't seem natural. But like when these people are supposed to be like convincingly playing these roles, like I, I, I was having a hard time <laughs> buying it. Um a lot of the dialogue is very like mechanical, which is pretty typical of like a Yorgos Lanthimos film. Kind of reminded me of like Killing of a Sacred Deer or The Lobster, in a way. Um, yeah, don't really have a whole lot to say about it. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed, um, but I am really excited to check out Dogtooth now. I think once I've seen that, I will have seen. All of his films, except Kaneda, but I don't think that one's very easily accessible. All that, dude. 
It's true. I don't even know. I've tried finding it online, but that is. Are you that sure you've tried Greek, finding right? it online? I have tried finding it online. What'd you say, Zach? That one's in Greek, right? Which one? Alps. Yes, it is in Greek, but there are some scenes that are in English. There's like two or three scenes that are in English. I don't know, Jake. Finding it online might be a little illegal. Are you sure you've tried finding it online? Okay, I have not tried fully <laughs> finding it online. All right, I thought so. Jay, we, he's a liar, guys. <laughs> Jake lies. <laughs> and that is all I have to talk about for this week. Nice. Oh, I will say that the lead actress in it is also in uh, The Lobster, and she plays, like, the emotionalist woman that uh, Colin Farrell tries to get with at one point. Mm-hmm. And she's... she does a good she does a Rachel... good job. I will say that. She does a good job. Rachel Wise? Uh, no. no. It's, she, it's, like, a minor character in The Lobster. Oh, okay. And that's all for me. Anything else for you guys? Mm, I watched Greenberg. Which is another Noah Baumbach movie starring Ben Stiller. And it's alright. It's pretty good. Nothing crazy. It's uh, the beginning of his collaborations with Greta Gerwig, which is interesting. Uh, basically, his marriage to Jennifer Jason Lee fell apart because of his relationship with Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. Or that's what I was led to believe by the internet. Scandalous. Yeah, so that's interesting. I think they went on. I think they did three movies right in a row together. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, that sounds right. Hmm. So she's very um, good in it. She plays the the socially awkward person very, very well. Chris might like Greenberg. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys being so concerned about what I <laughs> will and won't like. Uh, anything else for you guys? I did my taxes. I'm not interested. <laughs> that was exciting. Thank goodness for TurboTax. Now, if only they would sponsor us. You really want to be sponsored by TurboTax? Dude, hey, why not? It's better than nothing, <laughs> I guess. Sponsor's a sponsor. I want it's... Vault the Soda to come back and sponsor us. Vault? I want to be sponsored by Double Bubble. Free Double Bubble? That'd be amazing. Vanilla Coke? Cherry Coke? Actually, I want to be, I want to be sponsored by Red Man Chewing Tobacco. Oh my gosh. That's what we need. We need to get into big corporate lobbying fields where we can just be paid to say very positive things about Red Man Chewing Tobacco. Sure. Man, I really like this movie. Just like I really like Red Man Chewing Tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> I've smoked camel lights every day of my life. And I don't have cancer. I don't know what these claims are about. You should try one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I would probably choose, like, I don't know. I really need a new stick of Old Spice deodorant, so, like, probably them. Okay. All right. That sounds like we're winding down here. Anything on your guys' radar for the upcoming week? Um, 
I don't think so. Um, Soderbergh yeah. is back. So that's what we're doing next week. We're doing High Flying Bird, not Cold Pursuit. Uh, why not both? We're doing both. Sure. Why not? Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um. So, come back next week where we will be reviewing, as we just mentioned, Steven Soderbergh's new film, High Flying Bird, as well as the new Liam Neeson action thriller, Cold Pursuit. Um. If you're a fan of the show and like what you hear, uh, give us a rating on on iTunes pod, or iTunes or wherever else you can rate podcasts just to help us expand our viewing or our listening audience, I should say. Um, if you have any comments or questions you want to have us talk about on the show, send us an email to filmandloathingpodcast at gmail.com film and and loathing podcast at gmail.com um until next week thanks for listening see ya